Hello, and welcome to the latest Alfie Next Gen podcast. My name is Natalie Gerhardstein. Each podcast in this series features an exchange between two experts from the financial sector, one who has plenty of career experience behind them, and one a next gen professional. For this episode, we will discuss cybersecurity, more specifically on the efforts required by experienced professionals and young talents to bridge the gap between how cybersecurity was traditionally carried out and the innovative approaches demanded by today's financial services. I am joined today by Kuhn Morris of PwC Luxembourg, who is an advisory partner and cybersecurity leader, and David Morgan, information security officer at Talon Luxembourg. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Let's kick off this episode today with a brief summary of your career path, a sort of modern tweet on your professional life. I'll start with you, Kuhn. Well, it's quite extensive since I'm getting old, but I started in 97 rolling into IT, system engineering, network engineering, and from there it went uh, by accident into IT security, I almost have to say, because suddenly firewalls popped up and nobody knew how to configure them and they asked me, and that's in fact the start. But of course, a lot of things have changed over those uh, more than 25 years. Uh, I got from the technical side to the governance side, but I've always stayed with, let's say, one foot in the technical side until late in my career. Of course, today I speak more about strategy and create vision for companies and help younger people to understand why we are sometimes in the situation that we are in. Okay, thank you. And David, let's hear one from you. So I come from an electronics background, actually, and uh, found my way in IT completely by accident. Uh, First as a developer, then in IT support then a bit of networks and systems administration. And at some point, the company I was working for at the time in 2018 needed an information security officer. So it was kind of an extension of what I did in the uh, the firewalls and so on to move on to security. And then uh, all the governance, regulation aspects of, uh, of cybersecurity fell on me. So both a blessing and a curse because it's really interesting, but it uh, can be tedious and sometimes doesn't... Uh, get the recognition it deserves internally because the policy is just a piece of paper. So there's the challenge of getting that accepted and uh, brought in the company culture. Okay, that's a lot. Uh, let's We'll dig into that in a bit. So I'm excited to hear from you both today. Um, so let's take a look back for a moment. Kuhn, could you share some of your insights into how you ended up in the security field and what the approach to cybersecurity in the financial sector looked like in 2000? Yeah, well... As I said, being an engineer, you're confronted, and it's the same for for David, you're confronted to a lot of systems. And if you speak security, they all need security, although they are very diverse. And and I remember I started in 2000 working in Luxembourg when the first e-banking systems popped up. I mean, what for you today is normal, which is HTTPS. At the time, it wasn't that normal, so we needed encryption for data that was in motion between the PC and the endpoint, which was the e-banking system. We needed to find systems that were more robust than just username and password, which wasn't uh, (laughs) that common at the time either. Today you have Luxtrust and tokens, but I can tell you in 2000 there was nothing (laughs) of this. So that's how we started thinking, how are we going to secure e-banking systems? So a lot was focused on encryption protecting the data in motion and access control to these systems. Now, it's still the case today, but there are a lot more parameters because, of course, banks try to be as flexible as possible towards their customers. They have um, online or digital procedures for AML and KYC, but that was non-existing at the time, of course. So a lot maybe we take for granted today. 
I think for most users and especially the younger ones, um, yeah, it's for granted. It has been always there, but no, it's not. In my days, it wasn't, no. Yeah. Okay. And David, what brought you to the field? Well, as I said earlier, I fell into it uh, by accident, but I stayed because I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's uh, one of the aspects of my job that I really enjoy and need is a variety of tasks and challenges, and cybersecurity delivers on, uh, on that front. Ever-changing. Yeah. Uh, Kuhn, since you started your career, what key changes or advancements have you observed in how the security of financial systems is ensured? Well, of course, data protection is, is an important aspect, and you have to see that larger as just the data that is on the systems. It's also your data that we need to protect. That has definitely changed in the beginning. Let's be honest, it was trial and error. error. We didn't really know where to go or what to do. We tried and hopefully it worked and and we moved on from there. (laughs) Today, of course, I think the biggest challenge and and change that we see is that we have understood that protection mechanisms or prevention mechanisms are good. They help us to protect about 85% of all um, the the dangers that we see. But the the other 15%, we need to be able to detect it when the prevention fails. And we've understood today and companies as well, that one day we will be victim from an attack. That's for sure and for granted. So we are developing uh, systems in that way that we are building more resilience and capable after detection to respond faster and be back online faster as well. That That's a big change. I think if you look back into the internal systems, well, if you look into the 90s, we had perimeter security. It was building a virtual castle and everything in that castle was considered safe. Today, we are more thinking about what we call zero trust networks or architecture, call it whatever you like, but zero trust is, a, is an important aspect. In fact, it means that we take a position that potentially any network that we connect to could be hacked. So how are we going to um, safeguard you in an hostile environment and you meaning uh, the computer or endpoint you use and your data and even if you access another system. So that's definitely an important change which didn't exist 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the speed of things. Yeah, of course, but I don't see that speed anymore. After being so long in that field, uh, change is something that is, for me, that comes as granted and it's part of my job. And if I don't like change, I, I will have to do something else probably. And David, uh, what lessons would you say you've learned since you started working in this field? Do you feel like it's also just an ever-changing domain? So the more I work in this field, the less I want to go online as a, a private individual. Um, when I see all the threats that are out there, I realize that even as a cybersecurity professional, I don't keep my home network safe, up to date. I don't update my router as much as I should. And it's certainly not uh, very uh, resilient as a network. At home, I don't have backups, things like that. So uh, if I got hacked, the data could be gone or could be uh, exfiltrated without me even knowing. So, yeah, definitely a bit. uh, I'm I'm withdrawing a bit from uh, the online uh, presence that I used to have. Definitely in terms of the the technology. um, Because I work more in, uh, in the administrative aspect of cybersecurity, I do minimal technological watch. That's somebody else's uh, job where I work. Um, but one thing, perhaps to take the question from the other end, is to say that there's one constant, in my opinion, and that's the need for awareness. Mm-hmm. So uh, training people, letting them know what's out there, what they can do to protect their data, as uh, Quinn said earlier, 
data privacy is something that used to be virtually unknown to people and now people are waking up to it not just because there is regulation in place now but because uh, we've got more and more examples out there of uh, data leaks and what it can mean for you as a person for your finances for your company and so on so it's uh, getting this awareness out there and educating people uh, is is really important and in one of your previous podcasts one of your guests mentioned that he'd like to see more uh, financial education at an early age I think cybersecurity education at an early age would be a good thing as well. Mm-hmm. I hope listeners are taking notes then. Um, David, I know a big part of your work is linked to compliance. Um, what are the current cybersecurity regulations and compliance standards that financial institutions need to navigate, and how are they impacting daily operations? So a bit of a guilty confession here. I can't claim to know them all. Um, I've worked in this field for five years, and I think I've only scratched the surface of what I need to know. In that respect, um, some of the big ones, however, I can list uh, are the GDPR from a data privacy uh, standpoint. Um, if you're talking about resilience, as Quinn did earlier, you've got things like DORA, the uh, Digital Operations Resili- Resiliency Act, which is uh, a big one. Um, there's one uh, European directive, uh, NIS, which I forget what the acronym is exactly. Um, and soon NIST 2 will take over because the, the implementation of, uh, of NIST was apparently not too widespread. Um, there's a regulation... Sorry, the names escape me because there's, there's so many. Um, but fortunately for me as a, as a professional, if I think of the financial sector, the CSSF does a very good job of sending out circulars that implement a lot of those uh, regulations from the the European Banking Authority, or the the bodies that regulate cybersecurity at a European level. Mm-hmm. So if I follow the uh, the CSF circulars, usually I can say that I've covered what I need in terms of, uh, of an audit, really, mm-hmm. which tends to be what companies ask me to do. Okay. And then, Kuhn, looking back 20 years ago, what did the regulatory environment look like? Uh, of course, and, and I follow David, all the acronyms, it's a pain already to know them. We know most of the time the content, and I'm sure David knows the content as well. There was virtually none. Um, if I look back in 2000, there were a few acts, uh, mostly in the US around or UK around information technology, but none on, on really cyber the word didn't even exist. I mean, these are things you take for granted, but at the time we spoke about IT security. Um, So, in fact, GDPR changed the way we looked at things. The coming of GDPR was, to me, uh, something that I applauded for because for once we had a notification breach obligation and NIST 2 brings it for critical infrastructure, DORA brings it for, let's say, financial uh, environments, and, and the Cyber Resilience Act is also something similar that brings it for another industry where a breach notification is mandatory. And that is a big game changer. 20 years ago, you could do anything or nothing. Nobody really cared. Um, banking regulators, they had some guidance and I know CSSF had at the time. But of course, there was not really a law. Uh, GDPR is embedded in the law. You have CNPD now. DORA is embedded in the law, NIST too will be embedded in the law. It wasn't like that back then. Interesting. And I assume a lot changed post the 2008 crisis as well. 
of course, but we were focused on resilience on the financial side and not necessarily on the cyber side. Uh, cyber was still very unknown to board members and executive members. It surfaced a bit, I think, in 2012 in our two yearly uh, surveys that we do on, on the CEOs uh, worldwide. And then it came back, um, the word cyber, I think, in 17 or 18, but covid uh, gave it a boost, of course. Um, uh, that made a big game changer. But prior to that, let's be honest, nobody in the board was really caring about information security or cyber security. The, you would be already happy if they knew who the CISO was. It's really hard to believe thinking about that now. I think. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Kuhn, in the context of next-generation cybersecurity, what emerging technologies or strategies do you see as crucial for safeguarding financial systems, and how are these advancements reshaping the industry? Well, of course, AI will definitely reshape the industry in all its ways possible. Um, it it will provide us more tools or more insights. Um, the zero-trust part is definitely something that is reshaping how we have to look at things. I don't see at this stage really a technology that I say, wow, this is a, a revolutionary technology. No, uh, it's it's the same thing given a different name, to be honest. Um, what we need to do is changing the concept and, and stop trying to defend against everything, but accept that we need to respond and be able to respond, like I said in the beginning. That's definitely a game changer on the technology side. But I think the biggest changes is that now board members are really looking into it. That's a big change. I mean, people like David, in, in my opinion, they are in a good position these days. When I started my career, I was happy if I could speak to the head of IT. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I'm pretty sure that David speaks with business people from his organization as well. That's the game changer. The board now is scrutinizing the executive committee. Are you really investing in cyber? What are we doing? And I see that happening, especially in the financial world here in Luxembourg, because we get more invites from the board. Explain us cyber, help us to, to understand what our CISO is doing, what our David is doing, and help us define tools for him or a roadmap for this guy or this uh, lady to make progress. That's to me, the biggest changes, change I've seen in the last five years. Interesting. Um, with this rapid integration of AI in so many sectors and so much talk around it, um, David, what challenges do financial institutions face in implementing AI for cybersecurity? And how do you think that these challenges could be effectively addressed to enhance overall security? So I see AI as a, a great accelerator in many ways, whether it's uh, development of code that can be malicious or even uh, finding new ways of attacking a network and infrastructure. It's a bit like um, like doping in the Olympics, right? When you're in cybersecurity, you're playing catch up uh, a lot of the time. You can be proactive in certain respects, but uh, I think that you have to defend a much wider part of your network than an intruder needs to, to uh, penetrate to, to get in. Mm -hmm. So if both sides have AI to an extent, I think it's really to the attacker's advantage this, uh, this accelerator really leads to a situation where their efforts to, uh, to attack a small part of your network really get uh, sped up, whereas you have to 
go through all the, uh, the the motions of getting things approved. If it's new technology, you have to convince people that it's needed. And this can be a, a great challenge, in my opinion, in my, uh, my short history in this field. I've seen a lot of resistance internally to investment, new technologies, things like that. Even though, uh, like Kun said, the field is getting more and more recognized and taken seriously, it's still seen as a cost center, as far as I'm aware, and as far as I experience uh, on a daily basis. And so if you want to justify the investment in a new solution, it's got to be tried and tested, almost uh, recommended even through people that might be taken more seriously than somebody in my uh, role and with my experience. I can't come with a a great idea, great uh, in air quotes, idea of an implementation of a very expensive new firewall or antivirus solution uh, because it doesn't make sense for businesses to, to invest too much in cybersecurity. So the the resilience that Kuhn touched upon is, uh, is going to be very important in my opinion because with AI, I suspect that uh, attackers are going to have such a huge advantage that it's really going to be a matter of time until you get a breach, not whether you get a breach or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, last questions for both of you. So we'll start with you, Kuhn. What would you say is an unforgettable lesson you've learned from a young professional with whom you've worked? And do you think they're fully aware about the risks in this very connected world that we're living in today? No, I of course, if you speak with a young professional that is in cyber, they will have a good understanding about the risks, risks but uh, on average, no. Of course, it has become so embedded into our social lives that you can't tell anyone, look, your, your phone is tracing you. They will say, I just don't care. Uh, I have nothing to hide. That's That's the most silly argument. We all have things that are not for the public domain. It's not that you're hiding them, but you don't want to have them in the public domain. And I, th- I think they don't really understand sometimes what does it mean, public domain. Um, if you post something on the internet, it doesn't forget. So you need to be careful with that. Uh, of course, another thing is compared to myself, where I come from an age where I, I grew up without cell phones and without internet, and I've seen internet coming at us, I'm always a bit wary to what is happening. And I think sometimes these young people should ask themselves more, do I really need this? Why is this like they presented to us? Just to give you an example, if you buy um, uh, an healthcare device that measures your blood pressure, heart rhythm, your weight, etc., does that need to be online? You can buy it with offline capabilities as well. What is the added value to connect it? These questions I miss a bit. But of course, they will learn by doing, and some of them will fail and, and, and learn by failure, unfortunately. Hopefully not the hard way. Not the hard way, hopefully, yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, David, maybe what your friends know about cybersecurity or how in tune they are. But then I'd like to also flip the question and hear the best advice you've received from an experienced or more seasoned professional, let's say. So I'll start with that one. The, the best advice I've received is to uh, not uh, care too much about imposter syndrome. It's a very, very wide field. And so you're going to get in there thinking you know and understand nothing. But if you're not a specialist in, in a particular area of cybersecurity, you can't expect to know everything uh, about any single field, really. If you're going to be an expert, it's a very narrow, narrow field in the, in the domain. Uh, so in a position like mine, the, the best advice I've been given is to just accept the lack of knowledge and uh, keep learning. 
that that's really it. And as far as uh, cybersecurity education amongst my friends, it really depends whether they're somehow loosely connected with it professionally or not. I have friends who work as data protection officers or other uh, information security officers, and they tend to be well-educated about the risks and so on. It doesn't mean that they're particularly careful with their data when they're online. Um, but they do tend to know about uh, the need for it and appreciate it. And those that are not connected with the field know, uh, in my opinion, shockingly little about what they're leaking through the use of a smartphone, a device that goes online, or even uh, the, the the connected appliances of their household, from their fridge to what microwave and so on. Data gets collected pretty much everywhere nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it would be great, again, to have some, some real education about that and know how to limit the amount of information that you're literally hemorrhaging out there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we're a long way from that. Well, hopefully some younger lis- listeners are tuning in. Um, that actually wraps up things for today's episode. I'd like to give you guys a big thank you, both Kuhn and David, for your time and your invaluable insights today. This is indeed the last Alfie Next Gen podcast of the year, but the series will continue into 2024. So stay tuned. In the meantime, on behalf of Alfie, we'd like to wish you all a happy and healthy holiday season and a successful 2024.